Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you that just as we sung, we, we can never ask for too much. You're a generous God who gives to all generously and without reproach when we seek you in faith, asking for wisdom for all of life's circumstances, and that you even answer them beyond what we can ask or even think. Our hearts should be filled with thankfulness that we have such a a God who loves and cares for us, who provides for everything that we need in this life and for godliness. Thank you that we can even have a relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your Spirit that has made us alive to the truth of your Word and to the greatness of your Son. Thank you that we have your Scriptures that continually points us to who he is and what he's done, a word that reveals who you are, that we may know you and worship you and obey you. Thank you that it's powerful and active and works to sanctify us and conform us more into the image of your Son, that we may live in this world as lights and salt and and continue to glorify you in all that we do. We thank you for this time that you've given to your people to sit under your word. Teach us now by your spirit what it is that you would have for us this day. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Acts chapter 25, verses 1 through 12. Festus then, having arrived in the province, three days later went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. When the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul, and they were urging him, requesting a concession against Paul, that he might have him brought to Jerusalem, at the same time setting an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus then answered that Paul was being kept in custody at Caesarea, and that he himself was about to leave shortly. Therefore, he said, let the influential men among you go there with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them prosecute him. After he had spent not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea, and on the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. After Paul arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him which they could not prove. While Paul said in his own defense, I have committed no offense either against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as you also very well know. If then I am a wrongdoer or have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if none of those things is true of which these men accuse me, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar." Then when Festus had conferred with his counsel, he answered, You have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. I've titled this message, The Next Move, The Next Move. Paul's life right now, as we've been observing the past few weeks in Acts, is kind of like being on the phone with a customer service representative. Do you, you probably know what I'm talking about. You call because you're looking for a simple answer or a simple solution 
And you would think that they would know the answer that you're looking for. But after you call, you inform them of your situation or make known your question and what you need help with, you're left with the reply, please hold. Let me direct you to this person or this department. And then you talk to someone else for a little while, and then it's again, please hold. Let me direct you to this person or this this person, and so and so. And sometimes the call will just end after you waited for so long to talk to someone, and you got to start the whole process over again. The point is that there's no answer, and you just keep getting passed on to the next person so that it becomes that person's problem to deal with or to figure out. This is what has been happening to Paul, in a sense. No one has been able to find anything wrong with Paul despite the false accusations against him, and they don't know what to do. He just gets passed on to the next person. He went from being accused by the Jews in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 22, and the Roman commander didn't know what to do with Paul, so he brought the Sanhedrin, brought him to the Sanhedrin, where the Pharisees and Sadducees ended up having this dissension, and then Paul was moved to the barracks for protection, and so his case was still not solved. Then a plot to kill Paul by the Jews became known, and Paul was moved to Caesarea in Acts chapter 23. Then Paul went before Governor Felix in Acts chapter 24, where they still couldn't find anything wrong with him. And so he was left imprisoned in Caesarea for two years until Governor Festus took over. And now Paul will go before Governor Festus in Acts chapter 25. And then he'll go in the following week before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. And finally he'll make it to Rome in Acts chapter 28. Paul just keeps getting passed along to the next person. Yet, we know that all is going according to God's plan. Paul must make it to Rome. Chapter 23, verse 11, The Lord appeared to him and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. And what's happening here is part of the fulfillment of what Jesus had said to his disciples in Luke chapter 21, verses 12 through 15, where it says, They will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, Delivering you to synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my namesake, it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. And then back in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, it says of Paul that he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. And so we see that each event that is happening in Paul's life is according to the plan and providence of God, and that it's really the next move in the plan of God for Paul to get him to Rome and to continue to bear witness of him along the way and when he is in Rome as well. And in chapter 23, verses 12 through 35, we learn that everything is going according to God's plan. Luke recounted the plot of the Jews in Jerusalem to kill Paul so that we would continue to see God's providence at work and his protection of Paul in keeping with his promise to Paul that he would make it to Rome and be his witness there. And in Acts 24, Luke recounted Paul's hearing before Governor Felix so that we would see that God's plan is always moving forward. We took note of three realities that we each must understand and that the church must understand as we live in this world as Christians. We saw three continued realities in Paul's life that revealed that God's plan is always moving forward. We saw the continued accusations, the witness continues, and the protection continues for Paul. And as it relates to the people of God today, we know that the accusations and opposition against the church will continue as well. 
but we can know that the Lord's promises and his providence in our lives will continue, and therefore our witness of Christ to all people is to continue as well. And knowing these realities and that God's plan is always moving forward, we as Christians in this world can have confidence and <clears throat> and know that we have a role to play. And here in the book of Acts, we are continuing to see the sovereign and providential hand of God in carrying Paul through various trials so that he will make it to Rome. And we also see how Paul continued to press on in faithfulness and how he maintained his boldness and zeal and courage as he trusted in God and his promise. It was God's plan for Paul to continue to live. And as long as Paul was given breath, he would testify and give witness to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we know that he'll make it to Rome because that's the Lord's promise to him. And in these verses, Luke recounts Paul's hearing before Governor Festus so that we would understand that nothing can frustrate or nothing can thwart God's plan. We'll continue to see God's providence, his protection of Paul, and that everything is going according to plan and that everything is moving forward. This is just the next move. This is just the next move. We'll take note of two results that demonstrate that nothing can thwart God's plan. First, in verses 1 through 5, another failed attempt. Another failed attempt. And verses 6 through 12, another step closer to Rome. Another step closer to Rome. First, in verses 1 through 5, another failed attempt. We have to remember that this is after two years have passed. A new governor comes in, Governor Festus, and they are going right after Paul again. They're not done with Paul. They didn't get what they wanted, and so a new governor comes in, and now they're going to plead their case before him. And Paul at this time is imprisoned in Caesarea. In verse 1, Festus arrived in Caesarea, and three days later, he takes a trip to Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem in verse 2. The chief priests and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul, and they were urging him, verse 3, requesting a concession against Paul that he might have him brought to Jerusalem at the same time setting an ambush to kill him on the way. And we've already heard of a similar plot before, which failed. In chapter 23, verses 12 through 15, it says, When it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who formed this plot. They came to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a solemn oath to taste nothing until we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you and the council notify the commander to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case by a more thorough investigation. And we, for our part, are ready to slay him before he comes near the place. In verse 16, it said the, the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, and he came and entered the barracks and told Paul. And Paul then called one of the centurions and asked him to take his nephew to the commander so that he could report it to him. He takes his nephew to the commander. His nephew tells him of the plot to kill Paul. And so the commander decides to move Paul at night with 470 soldiers protecting him along the way to Caesarea to stand trial before Governor Felix. And so their plot to ambush Paul proved to be a failed attempt. That was attempt number one. And now this is another plot, number two, to ambush Paul and to kill him, this time by the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews. Their secret plot would prove to be another failed attempt. Verse 4 says, Festus then answered that Paul was being kept in custody at Caesarea, that he himself was about to leave shortly. In verse 5, therefore, he said, let the influential men among you go there with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them prosecute or let them accuse him. So by the providence of God, Governor Festus's answer protected 
Paul's life. He was the new governor in town, and was probably going to Jerusalem to present himself to the people. He's in a tricky situation. Immediately, he's faced with a dilemma. Do I give in to their request right away? What would you, what would that say about my leadership? I don't want to be stepped all over, but I also don't want them to hate me. And so he plays it safe. On the one hand, he was seeking to satisfy the Jews by continuing the case against Paul. And on the other hand, he establishes his authority as a Roman governor. And without knowing it, he's protecting Paul's life. And so he didn't say no to them. He said to come to Caesarea with me and we can continue his case there. If he conceded to their request to have Paul brought to Jerusalem, knowing their ambush to kill him along the way, Paul would have likely been killed. And so we see God's continued protection of Paul, even through the governor's actions, in keeping him in Caesarea so that he will, so that he will make it to Rome, according to the plan and promise of God. We have already seen Paul being protected by the Roman commander three times, Commander Lysias, rescuing him out of danger in chapter 21, 22, and 23. At the end of Acts chapter 23, he was kept in Herod's Praetorium, which was also a protection for Paul. In, in chapter 24 as well, Paul was being kept in custody, and even that was for his protection for two years. So through another failed attempt by the Jews, we learn that nothing can thwart God's plan. It just leads to the next move in the plan of God for Paul. Next, in verses 6 through 12, we'll see that it brings Paul another step closer to Rome. Another step closer to Rome, verses 6 through 12. Governor Festus spends a few more days in Jerusalem, according to the text, before going back to Caesarea. And when he arrives, it says in verse 6, that the following day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. With the failed attempt of the Jews to get Festus to bring him to Jerusalem so that they could ambush him, they now have come from Jerusalem where they will have to try to prove the charges and accusations that they are making against Paul. Notice verse 7. After Paul arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him, which they could not prove. And Luke tells us that they still could not prove any of the accusations, which really began all the way back in Acts chapter 21, which resulted in Paul being protected and moved to, from Jerusalem to Caesarea while giving him an opportunity in all of those instances uh, to witness of Christ and to testify of him. And in chapter 24, verses 5 and 6, Tertullus, the attorney, stated to Governor Felix the continued accusations against Paul. He called Paul a real pest, which refers to a plague or a pestilence, implying that everywhere Paul went, he was an infectious disease spreading and causing rebellion. They were accusing him of sedition. And he also adds that Paul stirred up dissension among all the Jews throughout the whole world and that he was a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, which was a term, a derisive term used for the followers of Jesus. And so the charge against Paul, and by implication there, all Christians, all followers of Jesus or followers of the way, is that they were an insurrectionist political party that threatened the peace of Rome. In chapter 24, verse 6, he added that Paul even tried to desecrate the temple, and so that's the reason why he was arrested. And that was a charge worthy of death, and the same charge that was made against him in Acts chapter 21 by the Jews from Asia. It says there in Acts chapter 21, verses 27 to 29, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place. 
And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place, for they previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. They supposed that Paul, in other words, they had no reliable proof. And here we still see that though there are many and serious charges against Paul, they could not prove any of them. And in verse 8, Paul continues to refute their accusations. He says, I've committed no offense either against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. In verse 9, we see a phrase that we've seen before. It says, wishing to do the Jews a favor. In chapter 24, verse 27, Governor Felix refused to release Paul despite his innocence in an effort to appease the Jews. It says there in verse 27, chapter 24, but after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus and wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Letting Paul go would have enraged the Jewish leaders and could possibly have led to further unrest, which Felix did not want to happen under his watch. So he just prolonged and delayed a verdict stating that he needed more information from Commander Lysias, even though Commander Lysias already gave him a written letter and report which mentioned that he didn't think Paul did anything worthy of death in chapter 23, verse 29. And so Felix was really just being passive. He was stalling until Paul became someone else's responsibility. However, for Paul, we see that it resulted in his continued protection. Two years of being kept in custody with some freedom and permission for his friends to minister to him. God was providentially preserving and protecting Paul's life. The plan continues and is moving forward even though Paul's legal case was still undecided. And that is one of the key factors in Paul eventually being sent to Rome because he is now before Governor Festus, and it's before Governor Festus that he will appeal to Caesar. And so we see here that Governor Festus was also wishing to do the Jews a favor. It didn't take long for compromise to set in. It didn't take long to recognize what kind of leader Festus was. In verse 9, he said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? Again, he's wishing to do the Jews a favor. And why does the governor need to ask a question to Paul? Couldn't he have just said, we're going to Jerusalem and you're coming along and we're going to stand trial before me based upon these accusations that are made against you? Because he can't do that to a Roman citizen. That's not according to the formal legal process. God was even using the law of Rome at that time as a protection for Paul. We see similar things happening in our day now. Christians are having to appeal to the law on different levels to protect their religious freedom, their religious rights, according to the First Amendment. So it's no different from back then to today. Notice Paul's response, though, in, in verses 10 through 11. He says, when the governor had nodded, or verses 10 through 11, but Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as you also very well know. Verse 11, if then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if none of those things is true of which these men accuse me, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Paul is clearly still innocent of the charges against him, and he continues to demonstrate that he is a law-abiding citizen. He even states that if he was a wrongdoer, or if he did commit anything worthy of death, that he would not refuse to die. But since none of those things are true, he says no one can hand me over to them. That's not how this works. 
And so he appeals to Caesar. And we read in verse 12, Then when Festus had conferred with his council, he answered, You have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. Through the providence of God, Paul appealed to Roman law, and Governor Festus agreed to send him to Caesar. This is another step closer to Rome for Paul. Nothing can thwart God's plan. We learn something here in this text about our hearts through what we see with Governor Felix and Festus. They operated according to the fear of man. They were people pleasers, doing and saying one thing even though knowing another thing to be true, doing what people wanted rather than doing what was right. They knew Paul was innocent of the charges, yet they wouldn't release him because they were wishing to do the Jews a favor. That's an example of cowardly leadership, not competent leadership. And I'm not pointing that out so that we would look down on all governors or all political leaders. I'm saying that so that we don't place our hope in them. But we are to continue to pray for them according to the scripture, that they would function according to the delegated authority and role that God has assigned to them to be over. We can want so many things to change in our world. Maybe as we watch the news or talk to people around us, we want so many things to change. We want so many things to be different in our nation specifically. And we can often think that the solution is found in politics and the laws that are passed. And there's been a lot of talk recently on on this term, Christian nationalism, which is a confusing term because everyone defines it differently. But we don't we need to understand the world that we live in as Christians. We need to think biblically. We have to keep in mind that there's no political solution to a spiritual problem. Even if our nation did become so called Christian and and laws were passed according to or in line with the moral law of God, that's not going to save anyone. The law of God doesn't save anyone. The moral law of God passed through laws isn't going to save anyone. We have to keep in mind that there's no political solution to a spiritual problem. Neither is there a social justice solution to a spiritual problem. There's no temporary fix for an eternal problem. There's no amount of external change, try and change everything around us, that will undo an internal problem within us. The problem of sin in the human heart, which all men are accountable before a holy, righteous, and just God for. There's only the gospel solution. That is what the world needs, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Why do you think the church exists? The responsibility to evangelize the world was not given to the government. The Great Commission was given to the people of God, the church. That is why the church exists. It's not to make the world a better place. It's to call sinners to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. It's to call people out of this world that is passing away and into the kingdom of God, which is eternal and everlasting. True hope is only found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Chapter 24, verse 27 again. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor. Felix left him in prison. 25, verse 9. Now Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor. We see the same thing happening. And this doesn't just apply for governors or political leaders, but this applies to us as well. 
we can ask ourselves, do you do something or do, do I do something presupposing or thinking that it will result in what I want? That I can play God and manipulate certain things and make certain outcomes come to pass. Maybe as your role as a parent or your role as a child or even at work to please your boss maybe or your employee so that you're not looked down upon or, or opposed with your friends, whether they're non-Christian or Christian. Sometimes as Christians, we're so fearful to call out sin that we see, that we don't love them in the way that we ought to. We shy away, wishing to do them a favor in in kindness, but in actuality, it's not kindness, it's not loving to allow someone to continue in their pattern of sinfulness, to harden their heart, their conscience, to the truth, to the path of obedience. We have to ask ourselves these questions. God looks at the heart, and we are not in control of anything. He knows the next move. He knows what's next, and we don't. And Steve Lawson has said, quote, If you please God, it does not matter whom you displease. And if you displease him, it does not matter whom you please. Evaluate why you do what you do, or why you want to do what you want to do. Or why you don't do something. Why you don't evangelize. Why you don't call out sin in your brother's and sister's life. Ask yourself, is it sinful? Is it exalting myself or is it God glorifying? Is it to please others or is it to please God? Is it loving? Is it unloving? As Christians, we belong to the Lord. We are His. We are His church and we are His representatives in this world. And so we are to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of our calling. We've just seen the next move by man which proved another failed attempt. Yet God knows, and it was his plan to use it to move Paul one step closer to Rome. The Lord is in control of all things. No one can frustrate or thwart his plans. And just to give you a preview of what's ahead for Paul, he would testify and give witness before a king. He would be a testimony and witness to a crew on a ship sailing to Rome. He would perform miracles before the inhabitants of an island. He would encourage the disciples in Rome once he gets there as a prisoner. And as he's in prison in Rome, the church would receive the letters of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Everywhere Paul went, he knew it was the plan of God for him. And he continued to live his, <clears throat> live faithfully to the Lord in obedience to his commands. And he would testify and be a witness for him there. We also see here that it's it's like the world is in a, a chess game against God. Except for believers, we're on God's team. He knows the next move. He knows what people will try to do. And in the end, he's victorious. And that means so is his church. No one and nothing can thwart God's plan. And no one will be able to overthrow his sovereign rule and his sovereign reign, and his plans and purposes will be accomplished. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We have nothing to fear. We can trust the Lord. We can be at peace. We can lean on him. We can be faithful witnesses 
because we know that the Lord is in control, his providence is at work, and every opportunity that results from our witness is another opportunity for us to continue to do the same. Help us. We pray that the Lord would help us to recognize the importance of the church in this world, that we would have the right view of the government, that it's ordained by God to be our servants and ministers for the punishment of evil and the rewarding of good, that we would continue to pray for them, seeking their salvation, but that we would be faithful representatives of Christ here on earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've called us out of darkness and into the marvelous light, that we've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son. Thank you for the gospel that you've entrusted us with. May we delight and treasure in our hearts and that it would be poured out from our lips to those around us, that we would continually make you known through the difficulties, through the trials that people may see, your power working within us, that your grace is sufficient, that in weakness we even display your power through it. Help us to be bold witnesses, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ, in this world as you have left us here to participate in the work that you've already done and accomplished through your Son. We know that it's through the hearing of the word of Christ that people will hear by your spirit, hearing the truth, your work in their hearts to make them alive and born again to the truth, to save them, to regenerate them. So help us to recognize that, to be bold witnesses for you in this world. Help us to be a faithful church that continually holds and stands firm to your word of truth. Help us to inform our minds and our consciences with your word. Help us to continually be a testimony and witness to those around us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.